Hi, I'm Jen. And I'm Jane. Welcome to Marginalia Pod, where we treat reading as a sacred practice and find meaning and connection through our favourite books. I would like to begin by acknowledging the Guy and Darug people, traditional custodians of the land where I'm recording today, and pay my respects to their elders past and present. I'd also like to acknowledge Tangala Finua of Tefunganui Atara, where I'm recording today. It has been a week. It really has. It's been a very long week. <laughs> An extremely long week. It's long for me because we're in lockdown again, but it just has felt long for everybody. I don't know, maybe it's just because it's like, you know, we're halfway through the year and everything is just difficult. Yeah. <laughs> and the world is on fire. Yes. You know? It takes it out of you. Yeah. It has been a really rough week. But I know that you had a great time yesterday and I really want to hear about it. So will you please tell me what you did yesterday? <laughs> so yesterday I went to a Harry Potter potions class at a cocktail bar that I really like. So for all of July, they have Harry Potter month. And they, I think they do this every year. Then yesterday, because it was July 31st, they had a Harry Potter birthday party in the evening and a potions class in the afternoon. And my friend Hannah and I went to the potions class. And so they have like a guy who was pretending to be Snape who did some polyjuice potion who turned into Mad-Eye Moody. I don't know. It was a very amdram. That's awesome. And he would like mix the cocktail and they'd bring out the cocktails for all of us to try. So it was all like, this is him making the potion and then you drink it. So yeah, we had five cocktails. They were amazing. I also had some butterbeer because obviously they always do butterbeer and this actually was probably the best butterbeer I've had. Like I've had a couple of them now mm. and I actually don't like butterbeer normally, but this one was quite good. I don't quite think I've ever it. had it, but I'd like to know what people's interpretation of it is. They're normally very like creaming soda-y. Okay. The ones I had at the studio tour obviously weren't alcoholic, but I've had a couple of alcoholic ones. But this one was creamy, but not like creaming soda-y. Yeah, I feel like a butterscotch sundae type thing would be... Like where I would want, like I'd want it to mm. taste like a, a vanilla milkshake, but like a butterscotch vanilla salted caramel yeah, thing. Yeah. Get that buttery. That makes sense. Caramely. I like that kind of like, yeah, salted caramel popcorn sort of situ. Right. Yeah. That's that's what I yeah. feel like butterbeer should taste like. It should be moorish, but not like cloying. Yeah. And the ones I've had in the past have always been sickly sweet, mm. like too sweet. Whereas this one was kind of creamy, but not that sweet. They were going to send us the recipes. So mm. I will see if they do one for butterbeer and I can let you know what was in it. That's just so nice to go to these events. Mm. There's always this bit of awkwardness when you go to stuff like this because you're like, you're a massive nerd, right? So you have this kind of <laughs> thing hanging over you being like, oh, I'm so self-conscious because I'm being a massive nerd. But everyone there is there because they're massive nerds. Yeah. So it's fine. You're in great company. Yeah. Like, so some people were there and like everyone has got like subtly Harry Potter themed clothes on. Aww. One girl came with a wand, <laughs> you know, like it wasn't dress up, but people were just yeah. into it. Yeah. It was just really lovely. But it started at one. And so by the time I got home at like six, I was not doing too well. But it's fine. <laughs> We recovered in time to watch the um, Sevens win Olympic gold. So that was lovely. Yay! Good job, women. I am so this... far behind. I have not seen a single Olympic event, but I'm really <laughs> proud of your girls. Thanks. I'm very proud of them too. Yay, go team. Yay. <laughs> what was your highlight of the week? My daughter turned 10. So Yay. I've been a parent for a decade. The highlight was that I managed to get her cake pulled together perfectly and it looked how it was supposed to look and she loved it and that felt like just winning at life because we're in lockdown and she turned 10 so that's like a big deal birthday when you're a kid like mm. it's your first double digit birthday and I'd always thought we would have a huge party yeah themed party like mm -hmm. you have someone come with a little trailer and park outside the house and the kids do all the things right we were gonna do like the big no holds barred party and um we just yeah. couldn't we Aww. just couldn't and I kind of knew because last year was such a nightmare but I ended up not having one ingredient for 
for her cake and I rang around frantically and I'm like, I know you guys are closed, but I also know you're doing postal orders. Can I order online and can I drive to your store and can you like <laughs> leave it outside the door and then I will go and collect it so we never have to talk to each other. But like, please, can I do this? And she was like, we really aren't doing that, but I will let you do this. So I did manage to get this like one ingredient that I needed to make her cake look perfect. I felt really good about that. And she had a good birthday, I think. Um, the cake looked amazing. We should definitely put a photo in the show notes Thanks. because it looked great. Like, you are a genius. Good job, Mum. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, it was good. Oh, well, I'm glad she had a good birthday. Me too. It's hard when they're little and they're in lockdown. Yeah, hopefully things get better. We're getting there, slowly but surely. Cool. Well, this week we're reading chapters 13 to 16 through the theme of heartbreak which is intense. So mm-hmm. um, do you have a story about heartbreak for us? I do. And um, it's kind of about how my heart was broken on behalf of someone else a little bit. My daughter is the best kind of person. She is the kind of kid who can't see that people are bad if she's decided that they're friend-shaped. And she pretty much decides mm-hmm. everybody's friend-shaped. But this can cause some problems. So when she was six, she had a classmate that was really intelligent and therefore pretty bored in class and she ended up pushing a lot of boundaries like you know I'm a jaded adult so I'd picked up on some vibes and the teacher had also picked up on some vibes so I was kind of keeping tabs from home and the teacher was keeping tabs from school and like Mm. "Mm, something might happen but like we couldn't really catch anything happening but then we had an actual incident and what happened was this the other little girl wrote on a whiteboard I wish you were dead and we should kill you and showed it to my kid (gasps) yeah Yeah, six years old, right? Like, horrifying. The teacher was on to it. She made sure my kid was okay. She rang me. She told me what the steps they'd taken were, which was that the other little girl was in the principal's office and her mother had been called in. And so, of course, this other little girl's, like, the magnitude of what she's done has really hit her. She was really ashamed of herself, rightly so. Mm. She was in big, big, big trouble. Super not acceptable. The school immediately, like, cracked right down on it and made her understand that this was not okay. But the part that broke my my heart was this. My daughter was so worried about the other little girl getting into trouble that it didn't occur to her for like days that something had happened to her. And like I could see this bad feelings inside of her. Like, you know, she was like really squirrely and she had all this discomfort, but she couldn't really articulate it. She didn't know how to process it. And I had to kind of explain to her more than once that like, no, This classmate had done a really terrible thing and she did deserve to get into trouble. And my daughter, you know, it it was lovely that she felt so compassionate, but it wasn't her job to fix it. Mm. Um, And it took her a few days before she finally like got it. But it was just the worst feeling to see her realize it because she had to puzzle out that this girl had chosen to say hurtful things just to get her upset, just to hurt her. Mm. It just didn't occur to her that people would be like that because aren't people supposed to be friend shaped? And it broke my heart, not because I'd been specifically trying to protect her from this, although Though, like, of course, I never want her to experience anything like this, but because she persists so faithfully in believing in the basic goodness of other people that, like, even in her own intuitive discomfort, she tried to fix the problem by comforting the person who had hurt her. This classmate did something awful just to hurt her, and she still held her hands out and said, how can I help you? It breaks my heart to have her out there in the world being so open and vulnerable and loving. And I'm just so afraid Mm. for her, but I am also so proud all the time. She is an incredible kid. That is amazing. That is just like an amazing superpower that she has to Mm. see the world in this kind of compassionate, friend-shaped way, right? But I get where you're coming from because the world is full of sharp edges and you don't want her to get hurt. And this was kind of like, you know, that initial innocence has kind of been shattered a little bit because now she realizes someone was just out to hurt her for no reason. Man, parenting's difficult. 
Yeah, I always think back to what you said to me when you were talking about your kids and you were saying it's like your heart's walking around outside of your body. Yeah. Just terrifying. It is, because I know that I can survive almost anything, but I'm scared for them. But, you know, you're equipping them and that's all you can do. That's they'll, right. They're resilient. They'll bounce back. <laughs> I hope so. If not, then I'll just go around yelling at small children, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I can help with that. <laughs> Okay. Oh, should we actually talk about Fangirl now? Sure, I'll do our chapter summaries for this section. Okay. Levi and Kath read more fanfiction. He invites her to a party. Kath and Ren go home for Thanksgiving, and the topic of their mother causes more friction between them. Once back at school, Levi explains about his reading disability, and Kath offers to help him by reading a book to him. Afterward, they kiss! Oh my gosh. Mm. Regan finds them all tangled up and Levi goes off to work. And after that, Kath goes to Levi's party where she sees him kissing another girl. Our theme was heartbreak and obviously identity is the overall theme. Mm. Very fitting for these chapters, I thought. Yeah. Yeah. And not even because of Levi, although that was a little bit heartbreaking. It was more because of so much about their mom came out. Yeah. 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 I definitely saw that as kind of like the main heartbreak, like Mm. right off the bat. Like, even just when she was remembering her mum leaving and that interaction that her mum and her dad have, she has this memory where her mum says, you know, on page 150, I'm just done, I'm living the wrong life. That really hit me. You know, I felt Mm. that really keenly. And the fact that it happened on September 11th as well, like, imagine, yeah, yeah, I just can't even, you know, the kids kids get sent home because this terribly traumatic thing has happened and then their internal life is imploding as well. Mm. I just love how embarrassed she is about that, that she's like, her mom can't even be trusted not to desecrate a national tragedy. Like, that is such a social anxiety thing. Like, this is an embarrassing problem to have. There's something else Mm. going. Like, I just loved it because it really rang true to me that that would be a humiliation. (laughs) And I felt so bad for her because, I mean, of course the things happen when they happen, but not on a national tragedy, mom. I thought it was so weird, though, that, you know, so their school thinks that it's because of September 11th that Ren and Kath are having problems so they send their dad this link to a psychologist child Mm. psychologist or whatever Kath makes the observation that their dad didn't tell the therapist that their mom was gone and I thought that was wild it's wild to send your kids to a therapist to talk about their issues but not explain why they're having difficulties yeah I think that's because he didn't really understand that it was permanent yet oh he thought she was coming back well she never said she was leaving forever she just did she said Mm. I just I just need some time and then it turned into like an actual divorce and never seeing her kids again she didn't just leave she ghosted them yeah it's actually I didn't read it like that but you're right she didn't it was never specified that this was the end and she was she basically did the I'm going to the store and then never came yeah she left for her life's meaning and never came back yeah and then I do think that Kath has a point when she says like you you don't get to be the mom if you wait until your kids are grown up and then have a relationship with them I don't know that I agree but I definitely fundamentally feel that way like I think intellectually I can understand that some people just can't be parents and that's okay but I also think if your kids are raised full stop you don't get to then come in and be like I want to have a parental relationship with you no that ship has sailed you kind of see this a lot with like celebrities or famous people right where they come you know they have a single mum or whatever and then suddenly when they're famous the dad comes out of the woodwork or the mum comes out of the yeah. woodwork and wants to be part of the story because now the kid is grown and famous and this yeah. whole thing and people want to cash in it's kind of like you want all the benefits of parenting without putting in the work and look living the wrong life is one thing but if you do have kids you just can't You cannot, like, this is why I am so pro people knowing their mind and waiting until they're old enough 
because it really is important to be able to like don't have kids until you're ready because it's a whole thing and you're responsible now yeah there's no one doing that right yeah and look I at mean, the damage that her mum inflicts on them like it's really changed them both it's changed the trajectory of their lives it's exacerbated any issues they would have already had like and Kathy even admits like you know she went she was acting in and Ren was acting out and mm. that's still true like yeah I thought that was really interesting when she went into like rain kind of shoplifting phase and mm. all these issues that they had and yeah it's it's a lot um but i'm going to institute an award for the podcast because like we often talk about the crappy parents in ya there are a <laughs> the lot bad of crappy parents. parents the bad dad club the my face yes the bad dad club <laughs> president is uh what denethor and uh oh thranduil yeah thranduil yeah yeah Thank you. I'm just like, <laughs> I'll just draw the eyebrows in the air until you figure out who I'm talking about. Crown, elk, racist party dad. <laughs> racist party dad. Thank you. But I think we should shout out to the good parents out there. And um, so I'd like to institute the Art Avery Award for Awesome Parenting or the AAAP because Art Avery is one heck of a dad. He's amazing. He's a mess personally. Like he is just kind of a disaster human, but he's a great dad. I love that conversation he has with Kath, where they, he's so honest with her. You know, when she was saying, you know, it would they have that real heart to heart, and they talk about Rain and about them. Like mm. Kath talks about her mum and how that would really hurt her. Yeah. And he just he's like, yeah, I agree, but what can we do, basically? For him to just be honest about his own feelings and where he sits, I think is really powerful. There's a point where Kath actually said something really awful to him. You know, he was saying, look, your mom wasn't ready to be a parent. She just felt like she couldn't cope. And she was like, but you were? And that's yeah. sort of the acknowledgement that, no, he has actually dropped the ball in more than a few ways. And in a lot of important ways. And, and she, she knows she hurts him. But then she sort of walks back and says, I didn't mean it that way. And he just takes a deep breath and moves on. And I think as a parent, you often get caught out by your kids saying really hurtful things. You can do one of two things, which is like deal with it in a mature way because you are the adult and move on from it. Like mm. You can let them know and say, okay, that was really crappy of you. That hurt my feelings. Or you like can take it personally. But you're dealing with somebody who's, you know, historically had a power imbalance with you and also who you've looked after when they were a baby. So you have to be more gentle and you always have to be that more mature one. And like Art nails it. He nails it. He just takes a deep breath and moves on and every time I see this sort of thing I'm like I'm writing this down for future reference but I just love it and he also is really intuitive that Ren does need to figure more stuff out and that's why she's allowing this relationship or like connection to start because she's not done figuring things out although I also think it's absolutely heartbreaking that she doesn't come back for Thanksgiving dinner yeah. like I think that is really actually cruel on her part like yes I get that you have to have this relationship with your mom and you want to explore this thing and you know Kath doesn't see it the same way that's fine you know you do what you need to do but to then stay the night to not yeah. come home when you have this pre-agreed arrangement with your family yeah when you know it's gonna hurt them yeah i think this is my fu ren chapter my fu ren section i wrote that in that section i was just like fu ren oh where did you write it i want to see if it's the same place i wrote it at the thanksgiving bit i was just so mad by that like i just it made me so angry i wrote it in the car where she was like i just oh. know you'd freak out I was like, uh-huh, because you didn't tell her. Oh, yeah. There's my one on page 172, <laughs> if you read. 
Um, I need to talk about that car scene where you wrote that actually because that's another moment of heartbreak. So Kath is already struggling with Ren because they're going through this. This is a crossroads in their relationship where they yeah. actually want different things, right? And then Ren puts the boot in by having another crack at Simon yeah. and Baz. And Kath says, page 169, why do you keep doing that? making little comments about Simon and Baz. And she says, I wasn't. And she says, you were, you are. And Ren just says, whatever. That really got to me. I just mm. think that is so needlessly cruel. It's like she has to build herself up, but the only way she can do it is by tearing Kath down. And yeah. by tearing Kath down, she has to go for the jugular, which is the Simon Baz thing. Ooh, it hurts. It's not okay to make fun of what people like. I think it's because she doesn't like herself. And I think that the parts that she shared with Kath, she hasn't really fully reconciled. It's okay to still share an identity with your twin. So she's pushing back on everything that they shared before. Mm. And so that's like the responsibility she has at home where she looks after Kath and she looks after her dad. She doesn't want that anymore. So she's shedding it. She thinks that she needs to be a certain kind of person. So she's doing that instead at college, making choices that are super unhealthy, as we saw in the last section. And Simon Snow is kind of a childish thing. So mm. she's always going to frame it as like, oh, yeah, when I was a kid, I really loved it because I don't think she can really let go of it but she's also trying to hurt Kath she wants to start a fight with Kath so she doesn't have to feel bad about the way that she's treating Kath if they can actually fight yeah. about it she can feel justified in being annoyed the thing is though for Kath the Simon Snow thing is so tied to her trauma so if we yeah. think about the meta of the fan fiction story that Kath reads to Levi that is just a way for her to process her own trauma like her Simon and Baz heartbreak reflects her own heartbreak because we're talking about Absolutely. Baz's mum who died Simon who doesn't know his parentage like all of these really deep traumatic moments that she explores yeah. through her fan fiction and I think even in the Gemma T. Leslie version of Simon there's still a really deep abandonment issue that comes through which Kath obviously latches onto and which is why it means so much to her because mm. on in the meta on page 165 there's that line where it's like Simon they couldn't have been magicians would never abandon their own child never magic is too precious and I think that really plays into this abandonment issue that Kath has because her mum left her. You know, she yeah. says she didn't love us. And that is why Kath also is so afraid of making friends, of forming relationships, because she fundamentally has an abandonment wound, right? Like she doesn't want to be left behind. Yeah. And so the people that are very close to her are basically the ones that she's stuck with and the ones that she knows really can't abandon her. Like she knows she and Ren are forever. Mm. And she knows because her dad did stay that he's going to stay. Yeah. Also because he's the MVP of parenting. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm just going to bang on about him forever because I love him. But yeah, no, I agree. And I think that with Kath, she spends a lot of time working her anxiety out through writing these scenarios. But it's never really her, you know? No. So you don't really get that closure from it. That's interesting because also this relationship she has with Levi, right? Like she calls Regan and Levi more sponsors than friends, which I really <laughs> enjoyed. But it's also like she allows herself to be friendly with Levi because Levi is safe because in her head, he's, he's Regan's, Regan's boyfriend. boyfriend. So I have certainly been guilty of this in the past. You go for the unavailable guy because, or the unavailable person, because they're safe. They're not actually a real option for you and therefore they're easy to... Idealize. Yeah, exactly. Because they're not real. It's not a real thing. Yeah. The problem is, is that she wouldn't even let herself acknowledge that she liked Levi. But we get the moment that she really does when she's so happy to see him after Thanksgiving that she just mm -hmm. lets him in. She's like, come in. Like, 
I'm happy to see you. And then they had like there's that little heartbreak of this fight not fight that they have. I found that really quite heartbreaking because you know Levi comes over. It's the first time we ever see Levi actually angry or upset. Yeah. And Kath is not nice to him. You know, there's that line on page 176 where he says, "What what have I ever done to you to make you be this mean to me?" Mm. And he sort of leaves and she has a her little come to Jesus moment where she goes yeah. after him. Yeah. And she says, "I didn't realize we were having a serious conversation until we were." Yeah. She does apologize though right away which I really love yeah she doesn't pretend it didn't happen she doesn't act like it's nothing she doesn't double down you know she really stays in the moment and actually apologizes and also I just love this line her chest was so tight it hurt both ways Levi shouldn't get to make her feel this way he shouldn't have even have access to her chest he was a roommate in law (laughs) (laughs) I love that she already knows that like she feels something for him and she doesn't like this argument and so she is going to like fix it because she wants Mm. things to be good between them I love that that's a sign of growth that's a sign of maturity and I'm really proud of her for doing the thing to fix it even though it did meant that she spent six hours reading a book which is an intense thing to do for someone like what an act of love like holy crap yeah yeah so like my love language is time people spending time with me that's how I feel like valued and heard and love and this is Kat's (laughs) like way to give back to Levi I think he enjoys that time being given to him yeah let's talk about the fact that he has a reading disorder let's talk about the fact that he has a learning disorder Mm -hmm. because this is something I see all of the time kids who really struggle don't often know how to say that they are struggling and I just love that he was able to articulate it like he was able to say no like I can read but it just doesn't stick so I love that like we have this book with this romantic lead who just can't read a book that's fine I'm here for it I feel like I'm like the inverse of Levi I need to have it written down sometimes people would just talk at me and I'm like I have no idea what you've just said to me like I tuned out five seconds in can you just write this down for me and get back to me I'm the auditory version of Levi if I can see it I'll retain it but if I hear it it's gone Mm. this is why I don't like video tutorials like you know people like oh watch a YouTube video I'm like no just give me the written instructions I don't want to watch a 10 minute video about this it only works if I'm doing it at the exact same time in the exact same way and then I can do it but like I have to pause it every two seconds to check. I love Levi. I just love him so much. And he's a human and he has flaws and he messes up big time. Yeah, I'm a big fan of Levi as well. He's just done really like, yeah, there's loads of little hearts in my section here (laughs) where I'm just like, and I love that he just, he's so keen. He's so keen to help. So Kath is reading this book for him and she has to stop because basically she's losing her voice. And he's Mm. like, I'm going to go get you some Starbucks. I'll be back in 10. And he just runs away. Like she basically, she doesn't really even have to show that much enthusiasm. And he just just takes it and runs with it like she just doesn't say no and he's like yes that's a yes (laughs) I will do the thing for you this was my moment where I was like I love him (laughs) it's where he's had the key the whole time yeah and he's been sitting in the hall the whole time and she's like why have you been sitting in the hall if you've had a key and he's like well it was for emergencies and it's never an emergency such a great respect of boundaries thank you that's like this is what we want dudes take notice girls like it when you don't use your spare key just to walk in. I mean, I think guys should just read this book and be like Levi. If you've ever wondered what <laughs> women want, like this is what women want. Like mm-hmm. men who know how to articulate their own feelings, who uh, know their own shortcomings and have ways to cope with it, who don't expect other people to solve their problems. I would also like <laughs> Levi. He's adorable. He is. I think that there was a moment where Regan was heartbroken and I kind of want to talk about that. Yeah. But also Regan is an amazing and very adult person who can deal with stuff. But the thing that really got me was on page 189, she said, I just didn't expect this to happen. And if it did, I didn't expect it to bother me. I just, it's Levi. And Levi always likes me best. Mm. And I love that she copped to that. Because it's true, Levi really does like Regan. They're 
best friends. Yeah. And there's heartbreak in that when you are someone's, you know, you think you're the most important person in someone's life and then you realize that they have someone else. Like that hurts. It hurts because it immediately puts you on uneven footing because you now are giving more than you're receiving. And also like knowing that they could be that good of friends after because they did date. Mm. Yeah. You know, like it took them a while to become good friends again. But the fact that they do have that great friendship kind of because he was always like no one had ever really captivated him as much as Regan. I think that was a really important thing to her that she's kind of having to work through. But then she goes and has a shower and she's over it. She's amazing. I kind of really appreciated what Kath does in this moment as well. Like Regan just says, it doesn't matter. He's not my boyfriend. It's fine. And Kath's like, yeah, but I didn't know that. And that didn't stop me. So she still has this guilt because to her, in her head, they were in a relationship and she still kissed him. And Regan's like, oh yeah, okay. When you put it like that, that's kind of like a terrible (laughs) thing. It's pretty messed up. I love that Kath yeah. just owned that, that she was like, no, this is actually something I feel bad about. And even if you think it doesn't matter, it matters to me. Yeah. And they have that conversation. I love that moment so much because she's actually like thinking it through like, okay, but if she has three boyfriends, is it only one third wrong? How <laughs> much trouble am I going to be in for this? Like, I really like my roommate and I don't want to ruin things. And I just love it because I think her heart was breaking because she really loves Regan too. And Regan was like, yeah. I mean, I knew he liked you, but like, he always likes me best. I just love two women having a conversation about a guy, and it's like, not, there's no fighting, there's no like carrying on. They just have a discussion mm-hmm. about it and then carry on with their day. Like, Regan says, you know, if he were my, if he was still my boyfriend, we'd have to throw down, but he's not. So let's just yeah. go and have lunch. And I love that. Like, I love that kind of subversion of the trope of the love triangle, all that yeah. nonsense of, you know, women falling out over a guy. It's beautiful. And I love that Kath was holding the moment in her hand like it was so important. When the kiss was happening, she was so tired and she was like trying to stay awake to bear witness to it because she was like, it's never going to happen again and it'll probably ruin what's left of my life. But I just want to see it happening. I want to know that it's happening. What a lovely first kiss. It's like something out of a Mm. dream, really. Such specific circumstances that lead to it. Not loving that Levi is kissing someone else the next day. Okay, but I feel like I have to defend Levi here because he asks her to come to the party. She doesn't reply. I think it's kind of terrible that he just sort of leaves when Regan turns up and he doesn't make Mm. eye contact with either of them and he just kind of like slinks out of the room. But also he is two hours late to work, so I'm going to give him... Yeah, which is a big deal when you work mornings at Starbucks, I can tell you that from experience. And also it's America (laughs) where I feel like that's probably a fireable offence. Like, in other countries, maybe not, but in America who knows it's a lot harder to get fired for that in Australia unless you're a casual but yeah so you know I kind of want to give him the benefit of the doubt there that he is running late and he's just woken up and everything is a bit weird so he slinks out and then he does text Kat and she doesn't text him back they Mm -hmm. don't talk again he doesn't know she's coming to the party. There's been no, like, real movement yeah. after that. So I can see when, like, you know, he's a bit buzzed at his party. A pretty girl is, like, slinking up to him. It probably, like, it doesn't mean anything, but the yeah. girl is there. He hasn't made any promises to Kath. He doesn't know that Kath is coming. And he also doesn't know if she even likes him. Like, he, yeah, I think he's a bit afraid that he really messed it up. So he's just kind of being dumb. Yeah. So I want to give him the benefit of the doubt for that because I just feel like there were no promises exchanged so therefore he's not doing anything wrong. I agree but also I think it's really heartbreaking for Kath because she was allowing herself to be excited that this thing might actually be okay and it might actually happen and like she tried talking herself out of it several times and Regan was like don't be an idiot it's not like interspecies dating he's just a guy maybe even the best guy who thinks you're great already even though you read your creepy fan fiction to him so don't be weird about it and then he immediately is kissing some 
someone else. And yeah. Reagan, I think that's another moment where her heart was broken because she's like following Kath out of there and is like, she's upset about it. More than Kath is showing. Yeah. Regan is upset about it. I absolutely, yeah. No, it's totally heartbreaking for Kath in that moment. And I don't I don't begrudge her that yeah. either. Like, I can totally see how she gets there. She had to psych herself up to go to this party. Not that she needed convincing, but she needed yeah. the courage. And Regan gave her that courage. And then they get there and this thing has happened. And I think that's why Regan is also like, oh, I've got, I yeah. have a hand in this because I sort of dragged her along and told her it was going to be okay. And it's really not. Yeah, not. I love Regan's, I'm not yeah. going to abandon you in there even if I want to. She's so mean to Kath, but it's kind of exactly what Kath needs. I love her. Yeah. This is a heartbreaking chapter for me because I want Kath to be okay and I want her to be able to trust people and it's just super hard for her to be able to trust people and this is just like throwing her back and not in a good way. Yeah, it's a trigger for her, right? Like she allowed herself to believe that she could trust Levi and then the next minute she basically feels abandoned again, right? The next few chapters are going to be rough, I think. That's okay. Mm, I wanted to talk about the way that Kath thinks in mm. absolutes because I noticed in this section, she's done this in previous sections where she referred to herself, I don't want to be the ugly one, right? So she does this thing where she thinks I'm the ex one. So in this chapter, she calls herself not the social one. She wants to be the cool one. She can be the pretty one. Like she always does it like in this, yeah. the pretty one, the blah one, like TM. It's like this absolute. In a dichotomy. Yeah. She views identity in this real absolute way. Which I think is quite interesting. Yeah. But then there are moments where she like lumps them in together. Like in the last section, she was talking about how it was like her dad had created them with his own DNA and there was like no evidence of their mother anywhere because they look just like their dad and they're identical. And mm-hmm. I think of that too is like maybe she has to cope with the fact that they all look so much alike by being like, but we're all different in this way. Like I'm the crazy one and he's the manic one and Ren's the social one. I think when you're younger, the temptation to be the whatever is really strong. Like you really mm-hmm. want to have an identity that you can fix yourself to because you're still learning who you are right Mm -hmm. definitely what Kath is doing like she might be like she might be the Simon Snow one with Regan and and Levi she's the the younger one the naive one with Nick she's the the like she's a co-writer she feels like there's an an equity in their relationship that I don't really think they have yet but she feels more like she has that so like all of these different things that she has to be kind of interplay with what her identity is becoming versus what it always was it's interesting because she almost does tries to do this to Levi right when she says you're not a book person and now you're not an internet person so Mm. what does that leave and Levi's like you know life work class whatever other people I had an incident this week with a co-worker because the Olympics is on and I have been watching it and I specifically watched the sevens teams because I've got a big personal investment in the sevens teams having worked with them for almost four years so there's like I like watching the games and we've got a tv on at work and so I work on a floor with people who are mostly introverted nerds that's fine. I think they wouldn't argue with that <laughs> description. And so people are watching the sport, but they're not like super interested. They're not like massively invested in it the way that yeah. I am. And I was watching the game and one of my newer colleagues came up to me and she did this thing where she was like, sport, 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 like oh. real sarcastically. And I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm just watching the game. And she tried to talk to me about work and I sort of answered her, but I yeah. was watching. It was a semi-final, so I was actually watching the game. Sevens is only, you know, four or five minutes aside. 
So it's like not yeah. a long game. It's not like a long time out of my day or whatever. And she kept saying like sarcastic things about sport. To me, I got real riled up, like internally. I was really annoyed by this. Look, I get it. Everyone is not a sports person. I 100% yeah. appreciate that, especially when you live in a country where sport gets more attention than it deserves and art is underfunded. And when you are an arts major and you've been put down your entire life because the first 15 rugby team gets all of the funding and your theatre program doesn't, I get why people yep. don't like sport. And I feel like it happens a lot, especially in the countries that I've grown up, like, you know, South Africa, Australia, New Zealand, big sporting countries. So I get it. But I feel like what had happened here was that she had made an assumption about my identity being the fact that I'm a lit- like I'm a massive nerd, openly. Like, I have two Harry Potter mugs on my desk. I've got, like, you know, a Harry Potter Funko Pop that someone put there because they're like, is this yours? And I'm like, no. They're like, okay, well, it is now because they just assumed it belonged to me. Oh my gosh, it's your troll doll. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So, exactly. So, I am unapologetically nerdy and I'm also slightly gothy. So, people have made assumptions about what I am and what I'm into. And therefore, the fact that I was actually really into the sport was weird. Like, it wasn't expected. Yeah, it didn't, like, fit into the puzzle. Yeah. So, she came in with a hot take and expected me to flow with it because that just makes sense in who I am in her head. And then I didn't fit that narrative because I am actually really into sport as well like I'm a sports nerd too because I love fandoms and sport is the biggest fandom people (laughs) like there's something joyous about sports fans I feel like that's what we're getting at here it's like you know you think people exist in a specific identity but people are vast you know they contain multitudes it's not black and white or one thing you can be into many things yeah let people enjoy things I think Levi's a really good example of that because he just genuinely is interested in everything Mm. there's something really joyful about a person who just likes everything and thinks everything is interesting and wants to learn about it and thinks people are interesting this is my jam I love finding out what makes people tick so like Levi's the ultimate wish fulfillment character in that way because he really is so charming and likable that he can just connect with everyone and people want to connect with him they want to share their stories with him right because he's so great Mm. he really is he is I just wish he hadn't been kissing that girl. But then we wouldn't get the next few chapters, which we do need. He can't be perfect. No one can be perfect. Mm. I have to say, like, I think Rainbow Rowell really excels in writing characters who are, like, realistic and people-like. Like, they're not daydream characters. They're their own people. Like, Kath doesn't says things that I'm like, oh, no, nope, not okay. When her antagonists can tick me off, but I still love them, that's when I feel like an author has succeeded. Yeah, she's very good at writing realistic interactions, realistic emotions, I think. And complicated things as well which once we get onto the others let me say when we read her other books it's gonna be a wild time um there's one other thing i want to talk to you about about identity formation i think the the way we form identity through our relationships so how others see us i think you see that with Mm. regan and levi that's kind of contributes to regan's heartbreak with this idea that i'm always levi's favorite right he always likes me best so that helps her form her identity but then on page 192 we get this like little outburst from kath where she says to regan you're not scared of anything i'm scared of everything and i'm crazy like maybe you think i'm a little crazy but i only ever let the people see the tip of my crazy iceberg underneath this veneer of slightly crazy and socially inept i'm a complete disaster and I feel like this is the first time we've had Kath yeah. say this or like acknowledge that she feels like she is a disaster, that she feels yeah. crazy, that she feels a bit unhinged. 
And, like, what does that say about her identity and her self It's just nuts to me because, like, I was coping emotionally so much better than she was, but I could not study when I was in my first year of university. And she gets, like, basically straight A's. I don't understand why she thinks she's such a mess. She's actually doing well. From my point of view, mm. she's doing really well. She's not doing super great and she could get some more help, yes, but, like, she's kicking butt in a lot of the ways that matter in college she's got a friend and a (laughs) friend-in-law and she's made a connection with someone she's going out writing with them twice a week that's a huge deal she's making decisions about what to tell her sister because her sister's been acting out and she decides not to tell her she wishes she could but she's like no you know what i can't do this right now because it's not gonna Mm. reward me emotionally it's not gonna be the kind of connection that i need and i want to flag that moment where she decides not to tell ren about levi because i think that it's gonna turn up later when ren is turning the corner so i want to flag that Mm. calf has made that decision to stop trying not to be petulant just because she's not gonna get anything from it yeah but i mean i think she's doing really well and she thinks she's doing so badly and i'm just like no one you're actually doing great you might need a little bit more support but like you're doing well i think it's just the self-perception we have how we're doing right like i'll Mm. often say to people like oh i'm such a disaster and my friend will be like but you've got everything sorted i'm like oh but everything is actually a disaster but it's not Mm. but you know it is and i feel like that's where calf is like everything is terrible but it's also actually not it's fine it's just life is hard and I feel like we always aspire to have everything I don't know neat little boxes and sorted and then we'll feel like everything is great but actually life is always messy and things are never in boxes and she's doing a great job what was that quote I ran across a couple weeks ago maybe a couple months ago now like if you did your best every day it's just your baseline you can't actually Mm. do the best every day like it's okay to have a baseline and I feel like a lot of people don't let themselves have a baseline that reminds me when i was still at new zealand rugby we had the coach of the all blacks come in and he gave a a talk to the staff and one of the things he said which i then used for months afterwards to annoy everyone around me but i've just remembered because you said that he would say like oh you know you can't give 100 percent every day some days you can only give 80 or you can only give 20 but if you say that and you give that 20 then you're still doing your best and that's fine and i would just come into work being like today i'm only giving 20 percent people you cannot expect any more from me i'll give you that full 20 but it's only going to be but 20. that is a really good way of looking at it like it's legitimately important to know your limits we were talking about this just the other day when i went for a run and i was like the heat is killing me the sun is back she's mm. back so it was overheating and i was like this is terrible i really wanted to try for a longer time and you're like no no you recognized your boundaries mm. you did well and i was like oh yeah i did that was important of me to understand <laughs> because what's the alternative you don't run at all like that's not good either so rather operate within your limits which are totally yeah, legit. do the correct, safest thing, yeah. So look, I think we don't have to give our best, but also, like, there's never going to be a normal. I mm. struggle with depression, anxiety. My ADHD does a lot of fun things to my brain. I'm never going to be, like, neurotypical. And I'm actually okay with that because, like, mm. once I was able to say, right, I fit into this, like, category of people who struggle, I found this, like, brethren of other people who were like, hey, I struggle similarly. I guess it's more of a sorority because it's mostly the undiagnosed women who get diagnosed in their 30s who go, hang on a second. <laughs> like, we all have this awakening. Like, oh, right. It could have been so much easier. But, like, Kath just hasn't found that community of people who are struggling yet. Probably because they're also still hiding in their dorm rooms, as Regan pointed out. 
Yeah. I kind of struggle with that as well because I don't understand who who society is built for. Like we have this, mm. like I think about this a lot when I'm trudging to work at, you know, 8.30 in the morning. I'm like, why have we done this to ourselves? We have chosen as a society to build this life, to be like, you go to the office, you sit there for eight hours a day, you do this five days a week. This is what is expected of you. You're expected to do your work in this way. You're expected to go to meetings. You have to do this, this and this. And I'm like, who is this designed for? Because I am the most neurotypical of neurotypical people like I am very capable of concentrating for hours I can sit still I can do all these things that you would expect to thrive in that sort of environment and I hate it I hate it I hate it I do not want to do it I just don't understand why we do it and I feel like that was a moment of heartbreak in this section yeah. as well because it's a kind of like the heartbreak of the capitalist nightmare when our Avery talks about the fact that he has to work on this creative design and this creative idea that he doesn't want to work on but that's what he has to do because that's how he gets money and he says page 167 sometimes getting it is infinitely worse than not getting it and i'm like yes yeah i have been there when i worked at that magazine (laughs) company and every day i went it was exactly like kath says you know it was like someone had tapped straight into her dad's soul and was draining the sap from it yeah i would say the similar thing happened when i worked for a media company one of the commercial ones here and i just hated it so much that i was like i'm never gonna work in media in this country it's not gonna happen (laughs) like i do not have the ability to do it And it drives me nuts because I just sit there going, we've done this to ourselves as a society. And you know, the thing I have noticed is that with all of the working from home, you don't have to do it as intensely. It doesn't have to be like that. Sometimes I feel like I do all my work between one and four in a mad frenzy anyway. So why do I have to be there for the first four hours of the day? I could be doing other things. I hear you. I really responded to that entire section. In fact, both of my in-depth marginalias came from that art talking about his work his job so i'll definitely touch and touch on that a little Mm. bit more but yeah he's just the best he's the best he's such a great guy such a great dad why did she leave him again i don't understand he even sounds pretty handsome yeah i don't really like yes i mean she's obviously got other issues what's her name do we know laura laura which makes me mad because it's one of my oc's names and i love it and it's a name that i really think is beautiful and i'm mad that bad people have it Laura and Angus, right? I should send you that manuscript, actually. Mm. It's, like, most of the way done. I've read it. Have you? Mm -hmm. The Immutable West. Yes. I've read that one. (laughs) Okay, so I I had my heart broken this week. How about you? Yeah, I definitely did. It was a lot. If you're a parent and you need to know how to be a good parent, Art Avery is a good place to start because he tries. He cares. Yeah. He loves his kids. He's doing the best he can. I really believe that, you know? He is really doing the best. And I think... For me, this was a real, when I was growing up, this was a real moment for me to grow up. And it's easy when you're a teenager to judge your parents and to judge the things that they do and to say hurtful things. And then you get to a point where you're like, oh, my parents are just people. Yeah. And they they were younger than I am now. And they were just doing their best. They didn't get a manual when they had a kid. They didn't know what they were doing. Every day they just did their best. And I don't begrudge them any of that. Yeah, no, this is it. Once you start having compassion for your parents, it's all over. You just feel like a jerk when you're a jerk to them. (laughs) Yeah. I should be better. (laughs) They tried. (laughs) They're doing their best. Exactly. Unless you're Laura, in which case you're not allowed to call or come by or think about them because you left. Yeah, don't let your brain touch them. I was with Kath on that. I've been in exactly that position where, like, you end a relationship with someone or they end it with you and you're just like, no, they're not allowed. It's, like, verboten. You cannot talk to them or talk about them or connect or, like, no, the walls are up. They're they're done. 
Yeah, and you don't want them even thinking about you. Just strike me from your mind. I don't want to be part of it anymore. Don't yeah. let your brain touch me. Exactly. Eternal sunshine of the spotless mind. Yeah. When people hurt me that deeply, I'm just, I don't want anything to do with it. No. Fair. That's fair. Well, do you have an in-depth marginalia for us? Okay. So my in-depth marginalia is meta because I've chosen a section from Kath's fan fiction. <laughs> I like reading it in terms of what is Kath saying with this? Like, what is motivating her to write this? What What is she tapping into within herself when yeah. she's writing this? Um, but the bit that I chose was on page 158, where, so what is happening is you've got Simon and Baz going on a little adventure, and Simon has decided to confide in Baz and get his help for something, but they're, you know, mortal enemies. And on page 158, it says, In six years, six years of always walking in the same direction, had they ever once fallen into step? I just really love this turn of phrase. I think this is beautiful. And I've thought about it a couple of times reading other books, because I've read quite a few books recently. And I've this line keeps popping up in my head when you're reading about, you know, characters who are antagonists, but not really. And I think in terms of our themes, like it ties into this idea of heartbreak because it's a missed opportunity. Like if you had actually seen someone beyond what you think they are and actually took the time to get to know them. If Harry had just shaken Draco's hand. Sorry. Sorry. (laughs) But not only that, like, you know, if you just stop judging people based on that snap decision on that like one dimensional picture that you've made, you know, I've decided you're the sarcastic one and I'm not going to bother getting to know you. And then three years later, I'm like, Oh my God, you're amazing. And we should have been best friends three years ago. You know, that that sort of heartbreak of missed opportunities. And also like the identity that you form around that being like, you know, you have this very clear idea of who you are and who someone else is. And this, what if it's wrong? Like, what if you've misread it? And yeah, there's so many times where things like this happens and, it just reminded me in my own life, like I had a nemesis in primary school because, you know, I was an overachiever and went to a very academically minded school where we were very much pit against each other. And so I was mm. like top of the academic table and there was another girl who was always pushing me. So we were always like one and two, one and two, either or. And so we hated each other naturally. And then we were in a play together, like a musical together. And we became best friends for like those three months that we rehearsed and did this performance every night, you know, we'd go and practice and we were like BFFs. And it was just this moment in time where it was like, oh, she's actually not terrible. I don't know her. I made this snap decision because we were in this weirdly competitive environment. And now we're out of that environment and we're like friends and we could have been friends this entire time. And it just makes you feel like an idiot for, like, missing the opportunity. And then, like, (laughs) even when the play was finished, we weren't, like, close friends. We didn't stay, like, best friends. Because you know how friendships, when you're little, it's all about how much time you spend together, right? But we weren't enemies in that way that you were. And I just, like, really thought about that. It's this idea that why do we do this? Why do we make these decisions? And that's what it kind of calls me to do going forward is just before you make these snap judgments, which I love to make, (laughs) just pause and don't put people in boxes because you don't like being put in a box. Exactly. It's okay to put someone in a box, but then you have to really like take the moment and say, I've just put you in this box. Why did I put you in this box? Does it serve my needs? Does it serve your needs? What is the point of the box? And even if I put you in a box, I'll allow you room to move beyond it. 
I have catalogued you for my own purposes, but that does not mean you have to stay in that box. Like, I will allow you the freedom to be a fully formed human being. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. I just, I really love that line. It's beautiful. How about you? What's your in-depth marginalia? Well, we already talked about how sometimes getting it is infinitely worse than not getting it, but I had another one as well. On page 168, you know, sort of discussing Kath's father's work. And she talked about how he really loved coming up with the perfect idea, the most elegant solution. But she talks about it in context. So in the book, they're discussing, like, why he loves the work that he does. And he's in marketing, I think. Mm. Advertising. So he's coming up with, like, advertising campaigns. And I did PR for a term and really loved it because I thought it was... Like, similarly, I really loved doing that sort of work where you're, like, solving a problem in a project-based environment, solving problems for people. That's, like, my jam. I would be so good at that because I really love changing things up and also fixing things. It's, like, perfect for me. Um, So I really understand why he does that kind of work. On the other hand, it also devastates him when it's, like, not accepted or the the Mm. client doesn't like it. And so I was thinking about that. And what it really reminded me of is the phrase, kill your darlings, which I think is really badly applied to writing. I'm doing a bit of writing at the moment. And I always think, like, oh, do I love this so much? Why do I love it? When I edit, do I need to get rid of this particular thing because it... I love it so much that I can't see it's really bad. Like I have a lot of self-doubt about that. But then it made me think about why I feel this way about coming up with the perfect idea, the most elegant solution. And like I'm an optimizer, right? Like I love to optimize things, which is why I'm always rearranging furniture and moving Mm -hmm. my bookshelves around and restacking my fabric in different ways. And I think part of the reason is that I really get attached to my own ideas and I have a lot of ego about them. I really do think my ideas are the best ideas and I don't like it when people tell me they're wrong. It does bother me. So I'm going to work on being a little more flexible and a little more resilient because even though when I have put my ideas out there, I don't like making myself vulnerable unless I know that I can be safe in doing so. Mm. So like I can rearrange furniture and my husband might grumble about it, but he just gets used to it and then we all move on. Mm. But it's different if I were at work, like pitching something. I would take it much harder if it wasn't okay. So I think I'm going to work on being like a little more open with that and putting ideas out into the world because I am really just sitting on like a whole bunch of stuff I'd love to share but also don't really want to put up with a criticism for so like it's a terrifying thing and it's a hard thing to do um it does get easier the more you do it I think this is true (laughs) one of the great things about the degree that I did is just like from you know undergrad I just always every class you'd have to put it out put it out put out be open to criticism people who have are never gonna like the things that I wrote would have to like feedback on the things you write and so you become really good at like accepting feedback and accepting criticism and I think that's something that helps me incredibly in my job as well because I actually don't care if people don't like my ideas but I it's taken a long time to get there so there is hope just push push the boundaries a little bit Maybe there's a local group you can join. My friend Frank ran a group in the UK that was like a criticism group, basically, where people would take writing purposely for this idea where you get used to criticism and supporting each other. But it's terrifying. Like, I'm not undercutting that. It's a terrifying thing. Oh, yeah. Do you have anyone you want to spotlight this week? I am going to spotlight Regan because I feel like she is the MVP here. You know, she has a moment where she feels really threatened by something that has happened, but she can stop herself before she spirals. She recognizes her emotion. She goes, no, actually, I don't want to feel like this. And she just gets over it and moves on. And not only that, she helps Kath. Like, she helps Kath through it. Mm -hmm. What emotional maturity. What a great friend. Just all-around MVP. I aspire to be that, like, self-aware and helpful. So, yeah. Yeah. Good 10 points for Regan. How about you? 
For me, I think my character to spotlight this week is Art Avery. Look, I just, I have a thing about people being good parents because I am a parent and I spend so much of my life thinking about how to be a good parent. Like it's constantly in my brain what to do for parenting. Like I love that he's so candid about how crappy he feels having to talk to his ex-wife and how he's still trying to be fair about it and say, look, she's your mother. She wants to get to know you. And like he sees how upset Kath is and he's like, nobody's going to make you talk to her. And Kath's like, but I don't even want, like, her talking to Ren mm. because that's me adjacent. And he, he understands that. And, you know, they have this conversation and she says, you know, were you upset? And he goes, yeah, I cried for three hours. <laughs> like, oh, my gosh. Like, he's able to be so honest about it and say that he also feels like she's the Nazgul and her hobbits <laughs> hiding from the Nazgul. Like, he also feels that way. He knows that it's not really true, but he still feels that way. And I just think when you're a parent or when you're a carer, when you're looking after somebody littler than you and more vulnerable, like it's really important to be like, hey, I'm a human too. Mm. And I am feeling this way. And they know he's not infallible. They know he's just a, a dude. But it's still nice that they still have this love and respect. And I don't know, their house works, their house, their lives, they they work. And I really, I really respect Art for putting it together however he did. I mean, they were a disaster, but they made it work. He raised two amazing kids, so yeah. he's done his best, and I'm, I'm really proud of him for that. It's hard. I like that he holds space for both Kath and Rin's experiences. Like, he doesn't judge them. Yeah. However you react is fine. No one's going to force you to do something you don't want to do, even though he doesn't want to be talking to Laura. Like, he would much rather none of this was happening, but he doesn't shut that yeah. down because he wants them to have their own decisions and make their own decisions. And, and yeah, that's, that's an amazing thing. It's a real act of kindness it is and it would be really easy for him to be like no you left i don't want you to deal with it and just not open the door mm. and i think that would be fair like i think as a parent in his situation i would certainly consider just burying my head up about that mm. but yeah i don't know he's a much better and bigger person than me and i think that's really valuable yeah. and also he's funny <laughs> I love that he's like, why didn't you just ask me about this stuff? I know about periods. You didn't have to Google it. I feel like that was actually a heartbreak as well for him to hear that. Because Kat said we Googled a lot of things back then and how heartbreaking that must be for him. You know, he was doing his best. He wanted to be there for his girls. He wanted to be a good parent. And to find out that they didn't trust him with that would be horrific. But they have each other. That's the other thing, right? Yeah, they're not on their own. Yeah, he's always known and respected that they're their own unit, which I think is really important. Anyway. Art Avery Award for Awesome Parenting. Yeah, we should definitely hand that out more often instead of the Bad Dad Club, what we normally specialize in. <laughs> He's the antithesis of the Bad Dad Club. Cool. Okay, well, next week we'll be reading chapters 17 to 20 through the theme of disillusionment, <laughs> which will be another delightfully fun, light experience. We're going to get to the end of the book and it'll be great, okay? I'm just looking to that. That's what I want. Yeah, no, it's awesome. Nice to have like a real character driven story, something that is yes. really grounded in reality and real life interactions and things as much as we love the fantasy and the big end of the world stakes it's actually just really <laughs> lovely to have this really human yes. drama 100 there's still magic in this book it's just not how we think it mm. well thank you well thank you so much it's always fun to talk yeah it's the best you're the best you're the best oh no <laughs> we're the best we are <laughs> all right i'll speak to you next week see you next week Thanks for joining us today. Marginalia Pod is written, edited, and produced by us, Gen D and Gen V, with additional editing and production support by Simon B. If you enjoyed it, we'd love if you'd subscribe, rate, and review it on iTunes. Your support means the world to us. We'd also love to hear from you. You can email us at hello at marginaliapod.com. Our music is by Scott Buckley. 
many of the things we've mentioned are in the show notes, or you can find out more about us and the podcast at marginaliapod.com.